0: What you're about to hear is a story that leaves nothing to the imagination. This is Melanie's story about her biggest nightmare in her most vulnerable time. This is also a story about the legacy that will live on in eternity in our hearts. And that's the story of John House, a young man I had the privilege to grow up with and who passed away in a tragic helicopter crash on board a Marine CH 53 carrying some of our bravest 30 Marines, one Navy corpsman, their devil doc, as they commonly refer to him only after enduring some of the most intense and sustained fighting of the Iraq War, known as the Second Battle of Fallujah. What you're about to hear is her story, fighting her own battles, albeit not on the streets of Fallujah, but just as visceral and intense. They agree that it's nothing short of extraordinary, and pays absolute homage to the strength and dignity and beauty of the military spouse who answers the call alongside the men and women in uniform, especially when they get that knock on the door in the middle of the night. Although there's a lot of sadness in some of these words you're about to hear, I assure you that this is, above all, a celebration of life and the human spirit. The gleam of hope and light named James House that arose out of this dark time. James, the son of John, that never got to hold in person. Melanie carves out one of the best examples of what it is to be a prodigious soul, powerful beyond measure, that is within all of us. This is also tribute to the debt that we'll never be able to pay back for what John and his Marines accomplish in that dark, desolate corner of the earth. But we promise we'll always continue to try.
1: Not your average temporary. not your average
2: temporary. not your
1: average operator. Back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. Sitting here with my two lads. How are you going there, Ralph?
0: <laughs> I, something told me that's how you are going to start. Uh, I'm good, man. It's a good thing I'm not sitting there next to you. Uh, no, man. I'm 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 good. I'm healthy. I'm happy. We have a really really great friend of mine from the past who's uh, who's with us today. So I'm I'm beyond. I'm tickled pink, as as uh, your people like to call it.
1: Tickled pink, nice. And
2: uh, how yeah. you going, Mike? Hey, Melon. what's going on, man? I'm I'm doing really well. I'm pretty excited. Finishing up uh, a final week of uh, work this week. I'll tell you, man, it's like the weather on the weekend is fantastic. And then the, somebody's hitting the button on the weather machine because during the week, it is just an ice cold washing machine out there. And I'm so sick and tired of it. But I guess that's why they pay us little to no money. Um, But overall, it's good and looking for a little reunion trip uh, beginning of March with some uh, some teammates I haven't seen in a long time um, from Afghanistan when we were there and uh, heading to Vail, uh, Colorado for for a week of uh, week getaway and hang out with some of the brothers. So I'm I'm excited, man.
0: Hey, Mellon, were you invited? I I didn't get the invitation.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I said brothers. I said brothers, meaning people I like. So no, you would not be invited, but- uh, I know where
1: Vile is. I'll just, I'll just fricking bomb, photo bomb it all. I'll be in the background. Yeah,
2: yeah we'll
0: just add okay, you. Okay, Mike, yeah. duly, you- all right, duly noted, duly noted. That's fine. I love you guys. Friend. True whatever,
2: friend. whatever. <laughs> <Not there>.
1: whatever. <laughs> and me. so Raf, we have a really special guest we heard about in the notes and uh, Mark and I are absolutely stoked to have along. So why don't you introduce your friend?
0: ah man we go back so it's my great friend melanie and um we basically grew up together man we were kids and uh one of my closest friends growing up john house which i've spoke spoken about uh, in this podcast was uh who she ended up marrying as a matter of fact we were there uh, melanie and I were talking about this uh i was there when john first noticed her she walked into this restaurant John and I were busboys. We we're like the dirty little gringo and Mexican uh, busboy kids uh, working at this pretty legit, I, Melanie, would you say it's kind of high-end yeah. as far as barbecue goes? It's like a higher, yeah. So Wood Ranch, she walks in with her little friend, you know, there's a couple of smoke shows. And, um, I, 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 and this, is, this is a true story and I hope his parents are listening to this because I've known John up to this point at least five or six years. And I'd never seen John not be cool. Like, he was never the guy that got nervous. He was never the guy that fidgeted. He just, he was always like, he was very nonchalant about a lot of things, right? I mean, he had this thing, I, I'll never forget, I used to hate it about him. But uh, he used to, uh, when he would drive this indestructible Volvo, he, uh, he would cut car not cut off cars deliberately, but I, they were always too close for my comfort. Like he would exit a gas station and like take his time getting on, you know, cross traffic. And I'm like John, like what, what's going on? He's like, dude, they'll slow down. But he was always just so like, like he just was never, you know, he was like Cool Hand Luke. And then walks in Melanie, and that dude was a nervous wreck. Like he's in the kitchen and he's like, <laughs> and he's playing with his nostrils. Like he he always has this his thing where he would just kind of play with his, with his septum, whatever you want to call it. And he's like, dude. Uh, I forgot what he, he had a nickname for me. We well, had a lot of nicknames for me and I, I'll leave most of them out. But uh, he was like, uh, Hey man, there's this girl out there and uh, she's, she's pretty cute. She's pretty hot. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, um, he's like, yeah. And so I peeked my head around the corner and I see, cause she, like you guys were sitting not far from the kitchen. So I peeked my little head around and I was like, Oh, nicely. And I immediately was like, yeah, they're, they're way out of, or she's way out of your league, which is why I'm going <laughs> to go get her number. <laughs> And he was so nervous, but I can tell that he was like, that that you know that'd be awesome. And it was, dude, he was such a nervous wreck. And then fast forward, you guys. I mean, Malin could probably tell you the rest. They went on a date, you know, like any relationship. There's ups and downs, but they got married and and had a beautiful son, and you know, life happened. Um, so it was, I I just feel special that I was there to share that moment. Uh, and then obviously everything that happened afterward. I think that moment helped me cement in my life just how important that moment was you know that i was there for john and melanie and just it was just it was cool it was just such a, it's just a fun story well
3: you were in our wedding too ralph
0: i was i i put on a clinic if you remember i was a da- well we were all i'm not gonna lie and i'm not saying it because you're here it was hands down one of the best weddings i would ever been to everybody was dancing everybody like we were dancing on tables it was it was a mess <laughs>
3: And it was three days after September 11th. And so we had reason to celebrate that we were all together and safe. And we also didn't know what would be happening moving forward. You know, how the world would change so much.
0: That's so true. I forgot about that. Holy. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That was the last prop. Well, that was the last night. I think the three of us, uh, Elliot, who's another close friend of that little circle of ours and John, Elliot was also Navy corpsman, by the way. Um, But it was the last time the three of us really were together. And then last time I saw you you and John was in Hawaii. And that was before he deployed. Yeah. Yeah. And then another crazy twist with that, that was also the first and last time John and my friend Ryan McCluskey met, um, who ended up dying exactly a year after John passed. I mean, it was like one of the most devastating years of my life uh to lose two close friends like that um at such a young age and, and not just when i say friends i mean these guys are the foundation of my life i mean they helped me kind of navigate my life you know they, they helped me make some of the worst decisions in my life but they also helped me make some of the best decisions in my life and i'm being completely honest and transparent about that you know why we were never arrested is beyond me but they also made me a better person so it was uh, i owe a lot to the, both of those guys man just absolute legend status but anyways, I don't want to take your airtime, Melanie, because we brought you on board to talk about your experience, um, not just through everything you went through, uh, because I don't have to tell you, you're probably the, one of the strongest people. I mean, just your stories, it's extraordinary. Um, I only felt uh, a fraction of it because when uh, our friend Corey called me and told me the news, I mean, I was floored. I, was, I remember I immediately, I was just floored. I was in middle flight school and he said and he told me about john passing away um in iraq you know after after a tremendous fight in fallujah and for anybody who doesn't know he was part of a pretty significant crew in in fallujah uh marines that cleared the city in the second battle of fallujah and it was some of the fiercest fighting in iraq to date i mean some of the fiercest fighting and they survived that only to unfortunately uh, succumbed to some bad weather and a helicopter crash. But anyways, I was devastated, I was floored. And that's just a fraction of what I know you, what you lived through. So I won't even put, give my own pity party because it it doesn't uh, hold a candle. So yeah, Mal.
3: Well, thank you. And um, I guess I could start To share. Um, So yeah, that night that I met you, I also met John, who uh, turned out to be my husband. Um, The date of that meeting was December 30th, 1994. I remember because it was my friend Kathy's 18th birthday, and I was just a month after turning 17. And there was a cute busboy that wanted my number. And um, he didn't ask me for my number, though. I've got to remind you, he told our waitress to ask me for my number. And I said, right. why won't he come and ask me himself? And you know, I'm pretty um, outgoing and he just didn't seem that he was the case. And so he, um, I took a piece of paper and I kissed it with red lipstick and I had my number on that. And I'm like, he can't even come ask me. So this is a joke. So, you know, I gave that to him. And of course the next day he called me and and here we are. But um, we uh, dated and we're together for, for five years. So we were high school sweethearts. We went to prom together. Ralph was uh, our our other couple that came with us to prom in uh, 1995, and um, it was a really cool night. I remember everything about the night really, and I, it's hard to believe how long ago that was. And then um, John joined the military, and he joined. Maybe you could help me with this, Ralph. I want to say 98.
0: That that seems about right, because I think you were still down in San Diego and uh, he was, you know, he was like any any young man. We he was looking for direction. I think by that time he saw that Elliot and I were doing relatively well as Navy corpsman. And I remember having that conversation with him and I said, dude, and I I've never said this out loud, but of course, I've always wished I hadn't told him that, you know, because I know that Elliot and I were a big influence on his decision to follow that road. And that, you know, I mean, hindsight 2020, of course.
3: But. Well, please don't ever take any of that responsibility. I mean, I could do the same thing. I We had broken up for a moment because I was at San Diego State and he was job to job and hadn't really figured out what he wanted to do with himself. And I'm like, look, I'm getting my bachelor's degree and you have nothing to show for where you're at in your life. So you, you gotta figure it out. And that's when he goes, Well, then I'm gonna join the Navy. So I guess I could also have the same regrets of saying, you know, if I would have never said to him, do something with your life, I mean, maybe yeah. he'd still be here, but he wouldn't be the man and the hero that you know that we all love and you know it means the world to all of us. So um so yeah, so he joined the Navy, I wanna say in '98, went away to boot camp, the whole thing. Um, and he was first stationed after core school he went and i'm a little fuzzy on some of this but he was in okinawa for a year he was in okinawa for a year and halfway through that year is when he came home um and we got married in vegas by elvis i'm sure you remember that and um that was always a dream of his then when he came back for good we had our big wedding in ventura and raf was there as one of our um our groomsmen and they all were, you know, wearing their uniforms. And it was a beautiful wedding and it was three days after September 11th. And so it was really special because it was such a military presence at this wedding. And it was also this little, like, there was an overwhelming thought of, you know, things might change for all these guys because 9-11 just happened. And what I didn't realize is how much it would change for, for me and for so many people that we know and love. Um, So, then um, when we had our big wedding, that was in 2001, we were stationed at Camp Pendleton after that, and things were really great, and then we got orders to move to Hawaii, which to us was like a dream come true, and we were stationed at Pearl Harbor um, on Oahu, and we thought, you know what, this would be the perfect time to start a family, because as you guys know, shore duty- He was on shore duty, as opposed to sea duty, meaning that he was home, not to be deployed, essentially. And so we decided that would be a good time for us to start our family. At this point, we've been together for many years. I mean, I want to say eight years, you know, including from when we met and everything. And so um, we got pregnant as soon as we tried. And that was actually St. Patrick's Day of 2004. And um, in summer of 2004, he was told that he would be leaving for Iraq with the Marines from Kaneohe Bay um, to to provide medical support um, to what we now know as the Battle of Fallujah. And um, I remember thinking, but I'm pregnant. Like you can't go to Iraq when I'm pregnant. Like that just doesn't seem like that could possibly be real but it was real. And he left in August of 2004 and I was about six months pregnant. And what was cool was I got to go with him to um, through the gate and wait with him until his plane left. He left on a commercial flight because he was meeting the guys that were already deployed. He left with a handful of corpsmen that were from Pearl Harbor um, Makalapa Clinic. And um, like I said, I was six months pregnant. And sadly, I had, a, I had a terrible feeling, but I just had to push it away. The day he left for, Iraq, um, we, um, America hit 1,000 um, lost in Iraq, okay, so 1,000 lost from the war, I guess I should say. And I remember hearing that on the radio on the way driving to the airport, um, and that was really devastating to hear that and to really understand 1,000 1, people that will never get to see their family again, 1,000 families that are changed forever. But I just, you know, I tried to not think about it and um, stay positive, of course, as I was pregnant. And so he left and that was the last time I ever saw him again. And um, he, uh, we, had my, we had our baby on Christmas Eve of 2004 and John got to hear some of his first cries because we uh, did a Red Cross message and John was able to call in and heard the baby cry uh, James Cash House was born uh, healthy and perfect on Christmas Eve, which, by the way, was the Christmas Eve was when John asked me to marry him several years before. So it was a pretty cool day for our, you know, for our family. Yeah. And um, when James was 12 days old, uh, I got a call from the base that said, "Hey, you, you get to do a satellite phone call. You, you know, John can see the so John can see the baby." So I went, and they set up this thing. And, you know, there was no Zoom or FaceTime or Messenger or any of that stuff back then. And um, by this time, it was early 2005. Like I said, James was 12 days old and I I held the baby up and John had a big mustache, you know, because overseas, you know, everyone just lets their beard and mustache grow and everything. And I almost didn't recognize him. You know, he was thinner than I've ever seen him and dirty looking and, you know, like this big mustache. And I took a picture of I have it somewhere, a picture of me holding the baby up and John looking at the baby. I took, I brought my, it wasn't a phone because there were no camera phones back then, but I brought my camera. And um, and that was truly the last day I ever saw him because on January 26th, 2005, I was up with the baby. You know, he was just four weeks old and there's no night or day when you have a newborn baby. It's all blends together. And I remember seeing on the news... That there was a terrible uh, helicopter crash in Iraq, that 30 Marines and one Navy corpsman perished. And I remember saying a prayer saying, you know, please don't let that Navy corpsman be John, please. But then I also felt, I remember instantly feeling bad, going, Melanie, you're you're wishing it's not John, but you're wishing it for someone for it to be somebody else, which also felt really sad for me and like selfish to me as well. But I guess there is selfishness with all of this. And um, just a couple hours later, uh, I heard that my front door knock and um, I assumed it was my neighbor who had a baby recently as well. And her husband was deployed as well. And so we sometimes just, hey, can you hold the baby while I you know, take a shower or just watch the baby or whatever it is. And unfortunately it was not that. And um, it was five uniformed officers and they were there to tell me Um, you know, just like in the movies, Mrs. House, we regret to inform you. And I was holding my newborn baby and I fell to the ground, of course. And my, uh, there was a woman there. She ended up being my um, CAICO officer, but she was there and she grabbed the baby. And um, that was the day that that changed my life forever and ever. And uh, that was obviously, you know, 16 years ago, I had a newborn baby I was 27 years old. I was a widow and a new mom all within a month. And it was the hardest thing that I ever, ever went through. And truth be told, I didn't think I would survive it. Um, I didn't know how I was going to gonna be able to survive it. John was my best friend, my future, the person that I was supposed to spend the rest of my life with. And now I have this baby who I barely even knew yet. You know, when your baby's four weeks old, you don't really even know your baby. You don't even, not that I didn't have a connection to him, but it was just like, it's a baby. You know, um, I hadn't even had my six week checkup where the doctor makes sure that I've healed from giving birth. I mean, my world just shattered, of course, that day. And I was flooded with just tons and tons of people from the base and neighbors. And I mean, I was so grateful to have had such support. Um, my family all flew in from Southern California. John's family all flew into Southern California, who by the way, are my other family. I mean, I, I grew up with them. I was 17 when I met them. Um, and, and just, uh, you know, I had to plan a funeral. I had to plan a move from Hawaii because Sadly, you don't get to stay in military housing once your husband passes away, and so they they give you a little bit of a time limit to to leave. And of course, they help you leave, but it's you know it's they don't want you there very long. It doesn't kind of brings down morale for the others, unfortunately. Um, And so, like I said, at 27, I had a brand new baby. I was planning a funeral. I was moving across the ocean, and these were things that I just never ever imagined living through. And when I talk about it now, I can't believe I did. You know what I mean? And here we are, 16 years later. um, I have a 16-year-old son now who sadly never met his father. And raising a child through the grief and through the depression and through the waves of emotions that you go through when you lose your partner, but also having to raise a child through all of that in some ways was the biggest blessing of all, because I had to be okay. I had to wake up every morning. I had to not let my baby down because I was his only parent that he had. And so I wanted to do some really terrible things, but I couldn't do them. I wanted to drink till I passed out. I wanted to take a million pills. I wanted to do all the things that you think will take away the pain, but I couldn't because I was my son was dependent on me. I nursed, I was nursing him and I, it was really important for me to continue nursing him through all that. So I knew I couldn't take any substance that would you know, affect him. And so I just plowed through it and I, and I did it and I moved and we, we had his funeral in, on February 15th of 2005 in Ventura County. And I guess the rest is history. It hasn't, I mean, these last 16 years have been such a, such an experience and I can't believe how it all went. You know, I just never imagined that I'd be here and okay and telling the story and being happy and in love and fulfilled and finding joy. These were all things that I thought That's not for me. At 27 years old, I thought I will never ever have those things again. And um, what's what I've loved to try to do. And I was I was telling this to Mike a little bit before we started that you know I want people to know that going through a tragedy so severe. I mean, in my opinion, really one of the worst things you could go through. um, To know that there is light at the end of it, or there is happiness and joy and love. And it doesn't seem like there will be, it seems like there never will be forever and ever. And of course I went through therapy and counseling and support groups and medication. I mean, this wasn't an easy road, believe me, but it was very, very important for me to, to be healthy and to get out of this healthy, you know what I mean? And so here we are. I don't know (laughs) if you got so many questions, I've just been rambling on.
0: No, I wouldn't know. You told that story so eloquently and you timed it together so perfectly. Um, I just, I, I think my only real question, I just was thinking about, was there anything significant where you actually noticed where you had turned the corner? Do you mean like, was there anything that you were doing so consistently that eventually after some, cause everything, you know, it's easy, it's it's easy to get lost in the valley, right? Because you're just inundated by so much and it's not until you climb up a little bit, you start real, you take in the views, you're like, oh, I've actually come further than I thought. So was there a moment where you where you kind of took a breath and thought, okay, I'm going the right way. I'm doing the right things. I can, you know, even though I'm not perfect, I'm still fractured, God, I still carry the pain. You know, I, but I can see, I can see him going the right way.
3: Sure. So as I'm sure you guys have heard, or maybe, you know, the listeners have heard like that first year is really the hardest, hardest thing. Every first holiday, every first, you know, the first anniversary, all of that. I remember at James's first birthday, um, Christmas Eve of 2000, what would that be? Five. I remember thinking, okay, I did it. I did this all by myself one year down. I don't want to do this anymore. Like that was the hardest thing I've ever been through. Like, when do I get a break? And I remember so many times in that first couple of years going, when do I get a break from being strong? Okay. And like, even now, I mean, I guess there is no break in being strong. I guess that's what life is about is you've got to be strong and there'll be easier times, but there's going to always be. Horrible, tough times. You're going to lose people you love. You're going to have tragedies. You're going to have things that happen to you that you didn't see coming, that no amount of planning in the world could have ever prepared you for it. So, like I said, that first year was just pretty horrendous. Now, James brought me joy through that first year, but not the kind of joy that I had wanted as a new mom. You know, I wanted it to be a different experience, but it wasn't. And I've, you know, I've come to terms with all of that, but, um, I would say, so I read a lot of books and I remember one of the books I read was, um, why do bad things happen to good people? And I, cause I kept thinking to myself, why me? Why did this happen to me? I'm a good girl. I've done everything right. I'm a, I'm kind, I'm sweet. I'm like, I've been, you know, I was raised well. I, you know, I, give back every way I can. I have a college degree. I've never stolen. I've never, you know, I have all these things and I'm like, I've done everything right. How could this happen to me? When there's people out there that are horrible and it doesn't happen to them. And, and that, and when I read this book, it reminded me. So it, part of the kind of the moral of the story is God or whoever you believe in can't protect you from these horrible things. Unfortunately, that's just the truth of the matter. But what he or she or whoever it is you want to believe in, what they can do is put people in your life that give you support and love and are there for you. And whether it be your religion or whether it be your friends or your baby or whatever it is, I had James to get me through it. And I remember probably about a year and a half. So he was about 18 months. And I thought, James deserves a healthy, happy mom. I deserve to be in my twenties, which is what I was and have friends and meet people and enjoy life. Like I deserve that. And I had a counselor through all of this in the beginning. And he said to me, cause I said, I never want to find love again. I'm never going to be happy again. And he, I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll find, I'll wind up alone forever and ever. I'll just be James's mom and that's it. And he said to me, and I get emotional when I say this. He goes, that would be the biggest tragedy of all. Yes, it's a tragedy that you lost, John. Yes, it's a tragedy that James has to be raised without his father, but you were 27 years old when your husband died and you spending the rest of your life devastated, alone, without joy, without happiness. That would be the tragedy that people will speak about One day, you know, when you're long gone or whatever it is, that would be the biggest tragedy of all. Because you're still here. You're still alive. You still get to be here. John doesn't. And that's, I think, when I was like, let's do this. And so I just uh, did everything I could to make sure that I was finding joy in every single day, finding happiness, making the best of the life I was given. Because it was a shitty hand, you know, it was, I don't know if I'm not supposed to cuss on here. Sorry. Um, um, it was, it was a, it was a really crappy circumstance that was brought my way, but I'm also have a really awesome life besides that. And I just have to always remember that.
2: Melanie, I, I haven't said a word barely <clears throat> in the last 20 minutes. And I, I am just in awe of your character and your, of you and everything that you just said. I, I am My hands are shaking. I, I, I swear to God, like I am grateful for everything that you just shared. And um, for John's story, um, I, I really have no words to even say to you. You've said more than I think the three of us could ever put together.
3: Um, thank you.
2: Thank you. That's all I can say.
1: (laughs) Hmm. Hearing this as well. Um, you know, as a husband, I've had the same thoughts probably that, and I've shared them with Cherry that, you know, if I was to pass, I'd really want, I would genuinely want her to be happy. I wouldn't want her to be having a life you know, stuck in the resisting what has actually occurred. I really would want her to be happy. I'd, I'd want her to be balanced as a person then as a, a mum, to have that ability to parent from a place of knowing that they're loved and all of those things. There's so much in being able to move forward and be healthy. And it's such a gift, you know, like you, you, you summed it up so well, they're saying that the tragedy would have been you know, your life would have been the real tragedy, you know, that the three of us and uh, your husband, John, we all made decisions with our lives and we chose to take certain risks and uh, to step into a certain space. And and the, the horrible tragedy is that, that that takes something, you know, and there's risk there. But for you at 27 to be able to move through that and come into a place. Where you're in such a an amazing state, it's really a privilege to to hear you tell your story. And um, yeah, I was operating over Fallujah at that time. Through that period, I was like the eye in the sky, working with a lot of the guys through that period. Three hundred four hundred five were deployed there quite a few times. So I feel like I, I feel like I've got some small connection there with your story. But thank you for sharing that.
0: And if I could just add. Um... And I know, Melanie, I know that John told you probably the same thing, but I spoke to him, you know, after he joined and I spoke to him even when he uh, was deployed and he was proud, like he was genuinely proud of what he was doing. He was very, very proud of his service. I mean, you know, he wasn't hiding anything from me. It wasn't like he was like trying to give me some line from like he was genuinely he I knew that he had found his calling and I was dude, I was proud of it. Like I was proud of him. Um, He was. I, I would have to agree with Mellon. He, there's something like when he joined and became a corpsman and joined the Marines, like it, like it lit a spark. Like there was a, <laughs> I'd hate to say this cause I don't want to be despairing, but it's like this level of discipline I'd never seen in him before. You know what I mean? Like it just, um, it was a passion and it was amazing to watch. It really was. It was the transformation was to know him from as a, as a child to this, you know, motivated Marine who, who like not only loved his Marines, but he like respected them. And he talked about how, you know, I think it was his dad who told a story that he could, he could tell his Marines through the silhouette in the dark. Like he knew just by looking at him, like, oh, that's so-and-so, you know, and they, they're probably going to come here and ask me for whatever. I mean, just, you know, you have to be a dedicated professional to, to know those intricacies, right? That's not, um, I mean, that speaks volumes
3: his patriotism is something that I'm in awe of and I've tried to replicate in my last 16 years because I know somewhere in heaven, he's so proud of what he's done and where he went and what he gave to our country. And James and I are, and my partner is, and we're all so grateful for you guys too, of course. I and mean, your service means the world to our family. And We always—I never met someone as patriotic as John ever. And this was before the divisiveness of this country and all the politics. It wasn't political; it was just patriotism. That's all it was. Do you remember his tattoo uh, on his chest? So his eagle tattoo—it said—and it was dedicated to for all those who have gone before. That's what his tattoo said. I mean, it was like that was everything to him, and. I'm so proud of that. And I've tried to make sure that I've shown that to James is is our patriotism is so important. And to understand that anybody that serves, they are giving a huge sacrifice because they don't know.
0: Yeah. I I think another reason this story is important to tell, uh, your story, um, is because since since I joined, rejoined, I should say, and then started flying, I was I was talking to the guys about this. I'd literally known at least one person every year that I'd served as a, as a helicopter pilot. I had known at least one person to die. A couple of years, I actually knew nothing less than twelve people. I mean, 2012 was probably one of the deadliest years of my life. I mean, you know, my unit alone lost eight people, and these were eight people that I personally knew. So it was it was. I say that because um, that first year with John and Ryan passing, as devastating as it was. And as much as I hated it, it kind of prepared me for what was in store for me, you know, down the road. Just loss after loss. After a while, you start thinking like, "What in the hell? Maybe I should just stop being friends with people." Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I'd like to.
2: This is this is this is hitting me really deep, and a daily. A daily ritual, you know, I I really try to practice. I'm not perfect, but I really try. Like when I wake up in the morning and I'm getting ready to go back into work and I put on a flag on my shoulder, on my uniform, and and the day seems monotonous and it's just over and over. I really try to take at least 10 seconds out of my day and think about men like John and people who exactly what that tattoo said have gone before me and that it is not about me it's like i feel like i'm carrying you know like they're on my shoulders and they're looking over me and they're like hey man you're doing the right thing and i've i've served with a lot of navy corpsmen and i'll tell you there's no better person on the battlefield than have a navy corpsman that's that's you know there for you in the thick of it and um you know for the people that are listening to this to this amazing story um Take 10 seconds out of your day and really forget about the white noise and think about men like John and people who gave up their time, their time with their family, their time for happiness, their time for holidays, their time for everything that we take for granted every day and um, realize where you're at and just be, be so appreciative, but also let it inspire you to become something greater Um, nobody's perfect, but I'll tell you one thing is some of the people that served in the military, um, are some of the best people I've ever known in this entire world. And you should aspire to be a fraction. You know, I, I hold myself a fraction to some people I've walked halls with. And, um, you know, this story is just a perfect example of that.
0: And to add to, uh, to add to John's legacy, so in 09, 2010, I went to Iraq for the first time and I flew over Fallujah quite a bit into Ramadi uh, in that area. And um, I, I knew personally the, the cost to turn those places around because for anybody that was there, around the time John was there, even previous to John, those were absolutely the, and Melon, you can attest to this. It was like, hands down, some of the worst places on earth, not in Iraq, worst places on earth. I mean, it was a cesspool of evil. It was a cesspool of just immorality. It was, it was a, it was a dark spot. And so I think about John and I think that that boy went there with his Marines and they put, they brought light, they forced light into that city. And people that weren't, that didn't serve or didn't fly there really don't understand. Like, you can't understand the gravity of what those men and women did. But just trust me when I tell you, that was the dark, one of the darkest holes on earth. And those, those dudes risked it all. Um, And I'm, and even the guys that survived, I'm sure still living through some of it. Um, But it, I remember flying over it in like late 09, early 2010, looking down there with Open markets you can see families walking down the street you can see shops where I mean it was like it was like downtown Baghdad and I and in my heart I w- I just smiled I didn't say anything to my crew I just remember looking down as I'm flying towards Ramadi out of Baghdad and I just thought that was John man that was John and that's a hell of a legacy and we can talk about what happened later in 2014 but that doesn't matter right those guys were given a task and, and god damn it they they literally did it and I know there's there's probably thousands of Iraqis that live there that don't have a name or person to thank. And I'll bet you if we said, yeah, he was one of them, they would probably celebrate him because it was such a dark time in their history.
3: That means so much to me, Ralph. I have to tell you that that's the side that we don't necessarily see or understand as survivors. Iraq, Fallujah, all of that, it's it's like it, it's a foreign – I can't even – understand what it looks like, what it feels like, what it smells like. You know, I, I've never seen it. You know, if somebody passes away, let's say in a car accident in town, you can go to the scene of the, you know, where it happened. I have no way to have any connection with where he was killed, what it was like. I don't know those things. So when people like you or other people that you serve with come and tell me this, it is so wonderful to hear because it is helpful to surviving families to understand that there was there was light through this darkness at the end of it and that for you know we don't always understand war at least I don't we don't always understand why we're there or here or you guys are there you know I certainly don't understand it but I know there's a bigger meaning for it and to hear those stories is so helpful like truly helpful because it, I imagined that was the case, but to know that you personally were there to see that Fallujah was a flourishing place with with family and, and just lovely experiences and everything else that is so wonderful because the pictures I saw don't look that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And because it, because it wasn't, I mean, it was, Void of any light or hope, and it was honestly, it was John and those Marines that went in there and and did it. I mean, it was and Mellon, Sky, you know, Eye in the Sky um, directing a lot of that stuff. So it's it's a it's pretty extraordinary when you th- when you start putting all those points together and you realize how significant that moment was. Yeah,
1: and it was it was pretty heavy. I remember doing quite a bit of mold. We'd just go and operate overhead consistently for a period. And heavy engagements, not sporadic and multiple locations around those two cities sort of touch. It runs out to the Northwest of Baghdad, Fallujah and Ramadi, And it was really heavy contact over a really widespread area. Sort of like more like what you'd imagine maybe from like World War II than what you'd think of from the footage you'd see from uh modern uh, era. And You know, I I never saw the tail end of it like Ralph got to see it later. But I know that the peak crested and it came down and, you know, there is like, it is good to hear that there's something that comes after that because there's no, there's no normal life occurring. There's no school, there's not running water and electricity and, you know, the normal day-to-day stresses are not occurring in a place like that. And, um, you know, I feel privileged to hear that I have some small connection to a man like john i also I really like the piece around um Raph pointing out that he did transform and step into something by taking on that responsibility that that was a really transformative thing for him, and he became the man uh that you know you're remembering now, and it's not it's not just sacrifice, you know, and knowing that you at twenty seven with a baby. Have now gone through that journey, and uh, you know you have a young man in your house, and 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 like, all of us are sort of shaped by the responsibilities that we take on, and that through these hard times, I really love hearing you talk about the joy and happiness that you have in your life now, Melanie. You know, it's, like and I think I think it's
3: important that people find that on their own and just look for it. You know, because it's out there, and it's not necessarily a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a, a bag or a pair of earrings or shoes. It's you just have to find it. And it's not, it's not a thing or a person. It's you.
1: That needs to be like, that. that's a quote we need to written down. That's that there's a real profound insight in that, that it's not a thing and that it is you and that finding the happiness or finding the responsibility that John found probably the three of us and certainly you with your with your son had to grow and change and that there is joy and beauty in life, you know, and that the connections, new ones or old ones, can can be built and we can we can have genuine gratitude for knowing these people and still moving forward and in, in, in genuine happiness and fulfillment into the next chapter.
0: Can I be the first to say when are you writing your book?
3: (laughs) People have asked me that over the years and I just feel like, Oh gosh, no one wants to read this. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I would,
0: I would wholeheartedly disagree. I think you have a really, you have a gift in not just connecting the dots and telling a good, like you're a good storyteller. I've always known that, but you do it really eloquently and I'm not just blowing smoke. Like I genuinely, if you could capture your words and put it on paper, it's, and I'm not even worried about, you know, New York bestseller. It's just, it would be such a helpful tool. Like it's, it's approachable. Anybody can read it and be like, holy hell, that applies to me. I mean, I, cause what you went through is not light, right? Like life didn't prepare you for this. There was no manual at, you know, uh, I can't remember. Did you go to Royal high or Simi Valley?
3: Simi see me. See me high.
0: Simi. Yeah. 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 Nobody handed you a man, a manuscript and see me right before you, we all left that senior year and be like, hey, this is for life, right? Like this is, so I would think of it as a as a manuscript because like you said, tragedy comes in every form. People lose sons, people lose small kids. You know, even divorces can be devastating. I've, you know, um, suicide is, uh, is a burgeoning problem right now in our, in our community. Um, I- I'm telling you, man, your story is powerful and I'm not the only one. There's probably 6,000 other people that are nodding their heads right now while they're listening to this and hopefully, you know, small growing population that have been listening to us. Um, it, the, I'm being completely honest.
3: Thank you, that means so much to me. I I don't know when it happened, but probably a couple years in, I realized I wanted to help others. I'm just, I'm a natural person to wanna to help others. Um, we'd go to these events, my son and I, where everybody at the event had lost their father okay all these kids there's thousands of kids running around they all lost their father and i'm going oh my gosh these kids lost their father like i almost forget that it was our story because i'm so sad and worried about everybody else that this happened to and and it's like it almost can't i almost can't believe it sometimes that it happened to me and to james but at the same time i just i have this drive to make sure that I somehow help others to know that they'll be okay and that you you don't get to be in this was the hardest thing for me. You don't get to be in charge of your life about something there's some things in life that you're just not in charge of, right? So you could be in charge of I want to go to school, I want to join the military, I want to do these things, I want to get married or whatever it is I want to have a kid, but you don't get to be in charge of what comes along with that. And at 27 years old when I lost John I thought, no, 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 no. I already had this all planned out. This was not in the plan. And that's actually one of the things that helped me years in was just realizing that I don't get to be in charge of these like tragedies that happen in life. Like, I, all I can do is make the very best, like I said earlier, the very best of the life that I've been given. So every single morning, I'm grateful for being here. I'm grateful for the people I love. I'm grateful for my son, my parents, my friends, and family. And and you never know when the last time will be that you get to see one of them again. God forbid, but and you just don't know, and nobody knows. And so you just have to show how much you love people and care for people every single day.
0: Can you give your mom a big hug for me?
3: <laughs> I, haven't seen, I haven't seen. I haven't hugged her because of coronavirus. I've been so <laughs> afraid of her getting sick, but she had her first vaccine a week ago. So. I will probably get to get hug her very, very soon. Um, but If, if she I, remembers me. Um, you, forget you She will never forget you. She still has a crush on you, I'm
0: sure. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, her mother is a first-class lady and a saint. She, uh, your parents are so sweet. I've always loved your parents, even though I just met them a handful of times. But every time they were just so welcoming. Every time I went to their home, they absolutely opened their home to hooligans like John and I and that just speaks volumes
3: they're good they're you know they're older they live in that little retirement community in Camarillo and they're they're definitely you know their health problems and all those things but they're yeah. they're good and they will absolutely remember you <laughs> uh,
1: I just I just want to um, I think there's a little something Melanie said that I really had experiences of, like when Annie was, my daughter was born very uh, prem or when she lost her vision, when my wife had cancer, that feeling of it's, you know, I'm not a massively religious person, but that sense of Jesus talking about take this cup from me, the cup of suffering that you don't want. And when those things happen, you're just like, but hang on a second, this, I didn't choose this. Like I've, my life's not going this way. This isn't my story. This is someone else's story. And that Melanie's had that statement there about you'll be okay. You're not in charge of what comes along and you can only make the very best of what you've been given. I think there's some massive wisdom in that for people. We're all going to have a day when we're given a cup that we don't want. And it's okay to not want the cup. It's okay to not want that suffering. And, um, but there's, there's a life on the other side of that. And there's a life with actual joy and happiness and actual fulfillment and contribution. And, you know, like I, well, I, I just want to underscore that, that, that is really, that has been my experience in all of my hardest times, that sense that, you know, we go through and we've, freaking think that we get to choose the cards and we don't get to choose the cards and you dealt your cards and you pick them up you know like, i don't want this
3: <laughs> i don't want this
1: one i don't want this one nope. you know but then like there you are and you either get on with it or you don't and there's a life of happiness and contribution and fulfillment that's still available to you but it's freaking hard you know it's not it's not life's not a movie you know, that's not cute credits, but it's, but if you do what you're doing there, like every single day, you're finding joy and you're having gratitude in the morning, Melanie, there's, there's so much power in living a life like that. I just, I just want to acknowledge you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us.
3: Thank you. I'm, I'm so honored to be here.
0: Oh, no, the honor's all ours. Uh I've talked about you. When we started doing this podcast, you can ask the boys, I said, you know, I've got, a close friend of mine who unfortunately went through one of the biggest tr- tragedies that I've ever personally witnessed and um i think your your story and James's story would just be it it's real you know um Also, having said that though, I know that you've done a lot of volunteer work. Is there any specific organizations that you'd like to give a shout out to for people and listeners to kind of listen to, or maybe hopefully donate their time or their money or their efforts to, is there anybody that helped you along that you, you know, you're reaching back going these, this organization absolutely helped me get back up on my feet.
3: Absolutely. So taps.org, T-A-P-S.org is an organization just for surviving families. And they do it, and and they have support for surviving brothers and sisters, fiancés, boyfriend, girlfriends, mothers, fathers, you name it. They have support for, and they've been pretty much by my side through the beginning. They reached out early on. I am friends with the founder. Um, she lost her husband. Bonnie Carroll lost her husband, gosh, I don't want to even say it wrong, but decades ago at this point. And I don't know what era he was he served but anyways he um she founded this organization stationed it's it's out of washington dc and they provide support groups support retreats um they have something called good grief camp for the kids that have lost a parent i mean come to find out you know we're one of many 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 families that have lost a parent and james is not alone in the fact that he one he you know, lost a parent to war, but two, never even met his father. And the fact that there are support groups out there for him, for his age group, um, to, for him to know that he's not alone has been so important. Same thing with the Gary Sinise Foundation. You guys have all heard of Gary Sinise. He um, is in charge of, our, of the organization Snowball Express. And that's when all the kids come together every Christmas time, go to Disneyland or Disney World or wherever it is that they decide to go each year but it's thousands of people and it's all, uh, families who've lost, you know, the, the child lost a parent and it doesn't necessarily have to be to war. It could also be to, um, you know, disease and stuff, but it's post nine 11 is essentially what it is. Someone that died while serving post nine 11. And, um, for, as a mom, you know, I can't fix this for James. Of course, I, you know, on the days that he says, I wish I had my dad, I wish my dad was here. I, I can never fix that for him but what I can do is make sure he has resources and friends and these support groups and things that he can go to and know that he's not alone and the same goes for me I mean I I call them my widsters they're my other they're the other widows that are same situation as us and we have met them over the years through Snowball Express through TAPS different things and we're you know COVID has changed the way we get to get together and things but that support system is, has been probably the number one thing that helped me besides doing it on my own, everything I did with myself was first, of course, but second was knowing that I wasn't alone and knowing that if I call one of my whiskers or call somebody from taps and say, you know, this is really crappy, this is going on and they get it and they've been there and they're going through the same thing. And not that we want other people to feel sadness as well, but to know that we're not the only ones. And especially, like I said, as a mom for James to give him that kind of support that I can't do. I can't say I know what it's like to lose my father because my father's here. So I don't I don't get to do that for him. And so what I can do is say, here, here's other kids your age who also lost their dad and they've got to grow up without him. And here you guys talk. You guys be friends. You guys be there for each other. And thank God for that. And also. Camp Hometown Heroes. He goes every year to a camp um, in Wisconsin where every single kid, they fly all these kids across to Wisconsin and they're all, they all lost a mother or father um, post 9 11 service uh, related typically. And um, that's his favorite week of the year. And so um, that's camphometownheroes.org. And they, that's his favorite week because he doesn't have to worry about mom. He doesn't have to worry about anything. He could cry or not cry or laugh. You know, sometimes it's like you laugh about things that you shouldn't laugh at, let's say, but when you're a kid who lost his dad, they're allowed to laugh about things that maybe other kids wouldn't understand there. He could be himself and do those things. And it's super important. And it's such a blessing as a mom.
1: We'll have links to all of these things in the show notes for the listeners, so they don't have to write them down. Yeah. Sure. Them. Yeah. <laughs> um. It just feels like that might be a really beautiful place to leave it for people. Just to, that there's a few resources that uh, Melanie's been able to share here that uh, have made a difference for her, and people might might feel like they want to reach out to these or other organizations, and as Ralph said, maybe you give some of your your time or your efforts or uh, maybe some financial support to them because they've made a real difference. But what a story, what a story. I know Mike and I have just been sitting here mainly with our uh, mouth shut, not able to talk. Pretty moved by this story, Melanie. And um, it's so beautiful. You guys knew each other as teenagers, you and Ralph. I'm only ever going to call him Ralph now. <laughs> Just, I'm, just I'm just picturing this this young bloke with a hairnet on and you know cholo with a white t-shirt and the flannelette buttoned up to the neck, walking around with jeans too low on his butt. That's my that's my mental image of
0: young bad ch- bad cholo Ralph. <laughs> I've I've already told you, man. Um, pants below my buttocks was not going to pass in Miguel's household. It wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't survive two seconds. As soon Thank as we God made contact, it would have been over. And God bless him for that.
1: Thank God for that. Yeah. So just a just an extraordinary episode, Melanie. You're just a wonderful guest, and it can, you can see the happiness and uh, and joy. Like you know, my my mom, my dad passed away when I was eleven, and I just I have a huge amount of respect for any woman who's got teenage boys uh, under a roof because we can give a mum a run for her money. That's for sure. So there'll be links to a bunch of um, charitable organisations that have made a difference to Millie and her family in the show notes, and uh, you know, I think I think we might have a few requests for you to come back on again, and you know, cover other aspects, and you know, just let people know maybe some of the stuff you're getting up to day to day now, and and also I just want to I just want to put out there that there's an extraordinary person that is clearly in the background in your life. And that's Brad just has to be an amazing guy. I just want to shout out to him and uh, for someone to step in, in, into the the position that he stepped into just has to be an amazing guy. So shout out to you, mate. Hats off to you, brother.
3: Thank
0: yeah. You and guys. and thank you for your service, Brad, honestly. Um, thank thanks for carrying that torch. Thank you guys. Yeah. Appreciate
1: you guys. All right. Absolutely, man. So, I think that's the end of another episode there, guys. An extraordinary one. I'm probably going to listen to this a few times myself. There's just so much wisdom in there that um, Melanie's laid some absolute bombs uh, of gold in the middle of that. So I'm going to circle back and uh, take some notes on on this episode. And just an extraordinary human being. Thank you so much for coming along. And from all of us to you, thank you so much. Thank you for your your sacrifice and your commitment and your joy. And uh, we'll talk again soon all the best. Thank you
3: guys, thank you. It's an honor. Thank you so much.